Well, as we get started this morning, uh, I was reminded of something on Facebook this morning when I logged in and saw some pictures that uh, a year ago this weekend, not only is it your daughter's anniversary, but it's also the first weekend that I came and preached uh, here at First Pres. And so to be back is quite, you know, to be here after that year is just a testimony to God and what he is doing and moving in in all of our lives. And so that was kind of an exciting thing to see this morning uh, and to wake up to and uh, in the midst of all the things that are going on in life, to remember that God is is always working in our lives. Uh, and so that that brings us to this morning is we actually come to the conclusion of our series, Jesus Appears. And if you have been with us, you know that what we've been looking at are these encounters that Jesus has had with many different people uh, before ascending into heaven, but after his resurrection. And we started by looking at the road to Emmaus, which was uh, brought to us by Ina, and, and how Jesus walks with them in their doubts. And then we looked at Mary Magdalene and how he calms her grief with life. And then the disciples bringing peace to their fears and Thomas securing gratitude in the midst of fear and doubt. And, and Peter, wipes, he wipes away Peter's shame with love. And then with the beloved disciple, he removes comparison with lordship. In each and every instance and encounter with Jesus, we see Jesus. We see that he has this power and this sovereignty over everyday moments and everyday feelings. In every single encounter with Jesus, Jesus revealing more and more who he is, why he came, why he died, and how he will continue to be with and with them and with us. And so this morning, we actually will conclude our series in Acts chapters 1 through 11. And today is Pentecost, as we've already mentioned many times. That is 50 days after the Passover. For us, it's that, that day that the Spirit of God was given in power to the church. And so, though we're going to be reading in Acts chapter 1... It's Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2, but we're going to see the promise of what's happening for Pentecost in that first chapter and why Pentecost is so important for each of us and how Jesus' final encounter reveals that promise. And so if you have your Bible with you, you can open to Acts chapter 1, and we're just going to be reading verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Sumeria, 
and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as he looked on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, as we open the word this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate to our hearts. God, that we would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know a deeper truth about who you are and what it is that you're doing in our midst. And so, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit be with us today, especially as we acknowledge and recognize Pentecost. God, that you would fully be present in our midst. And in that time that we have right now, God, that you would make very little of me, but very much of yourself. Lord, for I am but a man, full of my own faults and desires and flesh, but your spirit, your spirit has taken its place within me. And so let your spirit speak. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll have to be honest with you, as we've been working through this series, and we've been talking about these many encounters of Jesus to all these different people, specifically we've looked at the encounters that he's had with six different groups, whether it was a single person or a group of people, and we've been looking at those and we've been asking the question, what is it that Jesus was teaching us in that moment? But every single week as we've talked about these encounters that Jesus has had, I had this same feeling every single time. Gosh, I wish I had Jesus in the flesh like they did. Gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus could just talk to me the way that he talked to them? Wouldn't it be great if he walked with me down the street when I was in my greatest moments of doubt? Wouldn't it be great if he just showed up by the tomb in my greatest moments of grief? Wouldn't it be great if he would just strike away shame and repeat how much he loves me? There are so many times that I have wondered what it would have been like to actually encounter the incarnate Jesus. And every time I was preparing a sermon, I wondered those things. And if he had walked in the flesh among us right now, would, would my faith be stronger? Would my worship be truer? Would my sin struggles be weaker? Would my obedience be easier? I want to follow Jesus with all of my heart, I really do, but sometimes it is hard, it's difficult, it's trying, and I would just wish he would just be real in the present flesh here, right now. Would it make it easier to do the things that he's called us to do, to live the way we are supposed to, to face the day-to-day -day struggles? I wonder. I wonder, and I wondered week after week as we've worked through this series. And I've wondered week after week as I had those doubts and those thoughts. 
Am I actually made for this? Do I have the strength, the stamina, the maturity to preach again and again when I too struggle wondering, what if Jesus was just in the flesh? These are all questions that I constantly wrestle with. And maybe as you sit and you hear my list, you might resonate and wrestle with them too. Maybe in the same ways that I've had to prepare week after week, these messages about how Jesus would encounter people, you wondered, man, wouldn't it be great if Jesus encountered me? What if Jesus showed up for me like that? The way he showed up to Peter and to the beloved disciple, to Thomas, to the eleven. I see how, Mary Mag- how he appeared to Mary Mag- Magdalene in her grief. And her heartache. But sometimes we ask ourselves the question, where is he in my grief and in my heartache? It was really great that Jesus walked with the two disciples down the road to Emmaus and then broke bread with him, but I don't really know what that's like. Or I've loved hearing that Jesus reassured Peter of his great love for him, took that shame away. But I don't feel like I'm lovable. Like I've sinned way too much for that kind of relationship to know Jesus in that manner. Maybe you've been talking to yourself like this. Maybe you've been asking these same questions. Maybe you've been wrestling with the same doubts, the same desire. And maybe you've just heard a good sermon and you've taken it home, but you wrestle with what you've heard. And you're not sure how it applies to you. After all, again, they had Jesus in the flesh. They had him present with him. He rose from the dead and encountered them. He walked up to them in their hardest moments. But what do we have? What do we have? We all have our good days, but we also have our bad. We have the days that we wonder, when is Jesus going to reveal himself When is he going to show up? But then we have those days that we are reassured that he is still with us, that he is still good, that he's still working, that he's still present and that he's still real, that he still manifests himself to us. And it's those days that I want us to really press into, that I want us to look at when we think about our scripture this morning. It's the days that we have the reassurance that we know that he's with us that I think that our scripture reveals to us this morning about how we have those days. How we have a better understanding of those days in our lives. How we have that blessed assurance, as the hymn writer once said. And so today we turn into the book of Acts. And this is the first time that we're actually in Acts for this series. We've spent most of our time in John, right? We've been looking at the last two chapters of John for pretty much all of these encounters from uh, John chapter 20 and 21 is when we see Jesus encounter Mary Magdalene and he encounters the disciples and Thomas and he encounters Peter and the beloved disciple. You see, we see Jesus in these last two chapters of John, but we actually started in Luke, in chapter 24, and seeing his encounter with the two on the road to Emmaus. And so, actually, we're actually coming back to where we started. And you might be thinking, but Luke? 
back to where we started, we're in Acts. But that is what we have to understand is that Acts is actually the second book in a two-volume work by Luke. It is the second work that Luke wrote, the first being his gospel and the second being the Acts of the Apostles. And we see that he is writing this book for somebody named Theophilus. He mentions it at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, where he says in there, he says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You see, Luke wrote his gospel to Theophilus, to this, what, it, what Theophilus means is friend of God to this person that maybe is really new in their faith, has been taught all these teachings by Jesus, has heard the gospel preached, and so he's become a friend of God, but he needed some certainty. And so Luke started compiling all the things, all the stories, all the eyewitness accounts into this two-volume work. And so that's where we are at today. We're at the beginning of his second volume. We're at the beginning of Acts. And at the opening verses again, Luke addresses Theophilus and lets him know why he is writing these things down. And so as we open our text today, we read that in the first book, so in Luke, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. You see, I actually love how he opens the second volume because it actually gives us even greater context to what took place and what's about to take place. You see, he says in the very beginning that he, in his first book, dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. That is, until the day that he ascended into heaven, which we read about at the end of our passage. And so very clearly, Luke's first book is about from the time that Jesus began his earthly ministry up until he ascended into heaven. And I say specific earthly ministry because last week we concluded in John that we see that Jesus was always at work in all of history. He was preeminent. And John said that we couldn't have enough books that would fill the entire world with all the things that Jesus has done. But Luke is being specific about specifically talking about the things that Jesus did at incarnation and after. And so Luke takes this this first book and he says that this is when he began his earthly ministry until he ascended. And I think that the key point here is that it is when Jesus began his ministry. That That it's the beginning of what Jesus was doing. And so to say that it is the beginning means that it is not yet concluded. That he hasn't finished what he is doing. And so even as as Luke opens up the second volume, as he opens up Acts, he's letting them know, I'm letting you know in the first book, this is all that Jesus began in his work from the time that he came to earth to the time he ascended. And now we're going to talk about everything that he did after he ascended. It was just the beginning in the gospel of Luke. And now we're going to, learn in the book of Acts about how it continues. And so as a new believer, as Theophilus would have read this, he would have seen something completely new and unheard of. 
to think that the God-man Jesus began his ministry and work in the flesh, but he was able to continue his work after ascending? It just goes to prove that Jesus is still at work, that God is still at work, that his work has not yet concluded. In fact, this is one of the many truths that I have to keep reminding myself in those moments that I have this struggle, this question of, what if Jesus was just in the flesh? But Philippians 1.6 reminds us all that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So in those moments when I question the doubt, when I question the fear, when I question whether or not I can have assurance of the things that are going on, whether or not that makes me a good follower of Jesus, I have to also remind myself that he is still at work. He's still at work in me and he is still at work in you, that we are all a work in progress. And to be a work in progress is okay. Because it means there's progress to be made, right? There's still a progress to be made in each and every one of us. And that is so encouraging to me. I hope it is encouraging to you. Because here's the truth. When we say that we've got it all figured out, We've stopped allowing the work of God to be within us. We've stopped allowing Jesus to keep doing what he wants to do. We've stopped allowing for that power, for that work of completion to be brought. And so, quite honestly, I want to keep reminding myself that I'm a work in progress, that he is still working within me, that it is not yet done. It's not yet over, and that is a good thing, because he will finish it. And so then when we learn that Jesus, in his flesh, he gave his commands by his flesh, right? It was, it was Jesus' flesh that gave his commands to the, to the apostles. No, that's not what Luke tells us. Luke tells us that Jesus gave his commands through the Holy Spirit. All that Jesus did, all that he taught, all that he commanded, everything that he worked, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And actually, as we read the Gospels, we can actually see that it was not before, but it was after the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus that his ministry began. In fact, Luke talks about it in his Gospel in chapter 4, verse 14. And then Jesus, after being baptized with the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, and going out into the wilderness, it says, and then he returned in power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee. And that's where he began to teach in the synagogues and start his ministry. And so what we are seeing, the question that we've been asking this whole time is, so what did Jesus do after rising from the dead? That really is the question that we've been asking about in these encounters. And so he continues in his uh, book of Acts, he says, and then he presented himself, this is Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so this, this Jesus who did all his work in the power of the Holy Spirit, after rising from the dead, presenting himself alive to, to many, began to speak about the kingdom of God. 
And so Jesus, after rising from the dead, was empowered by the Holy Spirit, continued what he was already doing in his earthly ministry. He never stopped. You see, this is, again, what what Luke wants us to get at, is that from the time that he began his ministry with the power of the Holy Spirit, even until now, before he ascended, but after he rose from the dead, he still taught about the kingdom of God. You see, the world says death is the end. But in his encounter with Mary, he turned that upside down. The world says the doubt means you can't believe. But Jesus enters into a conversations of doubt and turns them into moments of seeking him. The world says that fear should shut us up like behind locked doors. But Jesus says my peace is greater. The world says that seeing is believing But Jesus says, try me. The world says that shame should keep you from moving forward. Jesus says, I paid for that. The world says you should be comparing yourself to others to get ahead. Jesus says, the only one you have to look to is him. In every encounter that we've looked at, Jesus is revealing a kingdom value, a kingdom truth against worldly values, about the things that society and others would want to tell us. Jesus, in every single encounter we've been, learning, we've been seeing before us, is him revealing and speaking and teaching about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom is in their midst. He's constantly revealing it. He revealed it to Mary. He revealed it to the two. He revealed it to the disciples. He revealed it to Thomas. He revealed it to Peter. He revealed it to John, the beloved disciple. He revealed it to all of them. And so he never stopped. Even after rising from the dead, he had one purpose. And the truth is, he still hasn't stopped. And this is important. This is important because it is our reminder that the kingdom of God is still here. It is still an upside-down kingdom to what the world says. Does that not encourage your heart? Because it encourages mine in the midst of those moments to be reminded of kingdom truth encourages me. And so how does this kingdom exist? Verses 4 and 5 continue... And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And here's Pentecost. The truth of Pentecost, of everything that Jesus did, was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now his disciples, his followers, for all of those that call upon his name, that believe in him, will also be baptized with the Holy Spirit, will receive that same Holy Spirit that he received. The power in which Jesus did his earthly ministry, he now gives to us. And so how does the kingdom still exist today? How is it revealed? It is revealed through his people, through his followers. And so if Luke was about everything that Jesus began in his earthly ministry to the time he ascended, 
then acts is everything that Jesus did through the power of his Holy Spirit in his church and people. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit within his followers that the kingdom of God continues to be his message. The disciples, though, continued to be confused by this reality. Of course they were. We're human. We hear the things that Jesus says and we can't help but wonder, but is that true? (laughs) Is that what you really meant? Are you really telling us? Because this is really different. This is radical to the followers of Yahweh, to the followers of a one true God. They haven't thought about it in this way before. The Holy Spirit was limited to a certain number of people throughout all history. Is this not what we've struggled with? The same struggle of the disciples? How do we do this without Jesus in the flesh? How does the kingdom keep getting revealed? Isn't it better that Jesus doesn't ascend? I mean, he already raised from the dead. Why does he have to go? Why does he have to leave? I want him to step into the hardest areas of my life. I want him to keep walking with us. I want to hear from him about this kingdom that he spent three years preaching about. And the disciples too are wondering about what's to happen next. If this Jesus came and rose from the dead, will he not stay? Will he not work? Will he not continue? And so that's actually where we get to in verses 6 and 8. He says, and so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, the disciples were still expecting a conquering Messiah. One that would come and put the Romans to shame. That would overthrow them so that Israel could rise again. If this teaches us anything, if this teaches me anything, it's that there is this deep desire, this deep human desire that we want God to give us what we want and what we think is right. We want God to act in the natural, to take on natural things like government systems So naturally, the disciples want Jesus to take care of their natural oppression and their natural oppressors, the Romans. But Jesus doesn't respond to them by telling them an answer in regards to overthrowing the system. That's simply not what he cares about right now. So he changes the subject. It's not It's not time for you to know any of those things. It's not relevant to my coming. It's not relevant to me rising from the dead. And it's not relevant to me ascending into heaven. There's only one thing relevant right now. And I need you to understand this, my disciples. It's that you receive the Holy Spirit. So that when you do, you can continue my work. The work that I began by telling the world of what I have done. That is That the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and know that Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh. So that he could die for our sin and reconcile us to the Father. 
to have right relationship with God, to receive eternal life that he may be worshipped and glorified and that we may enjoy him forever. That is the good news that we have inherited from those disciples. But it is also the good news that they inherited from Jesus. And for all of us, it is because we have received the power of the Holy Spirit. So whenever I ask myself the question, wouldn't it be better if Jesus was in the flesh? I'm reminded that Jesus had said himself in the Gospel of John, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said it is better that he go because we can then receive the Holy Spirit. It is better because Jesus in the flesh is in one location at a time. But a Jesus in the Spirit dwelling within his people is a Jesus that can be anywhere and everywhere. And so how is this relevant to us? How is this so important to us right now? You see, the reality is that we all have these questions, these doubts, these fears, these frustrations, these sufferings, and these griefs. But in the midst of every single one of them, we have a Jesus that cares intimately about those struggles. He never pushes them aside and says, I don't want to take those up from you. He cares enough that he ascended to heaven so that he could be closer to us than he ever was in the flesh. He took up a residence within each and every one of us and called us by name. 2 Timothy reminds us that by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, that we should guard the good deposit entrusted to us. You see, the Spirit dwells in me and it dwells in you. And this is better than a Jesus in the flesh because it means that Jesus is with us. And that he can speak, he can help, he can teach, he can comfort, he can reveal kingdom truths and kingdom values over and against everything the world is teaching us over and over and over again. And so myself included most of all, would do well to remember that the Spirit of God is in each and every one of us. And He's in me. And as such, not only can the kingdom be revealed in us and to us individually, but that the kingdom should be revealed in us and through us collectively. And so as we remember Pentecost today, the question is, will we be the church that allows the Spirit of God to take up dwelling within us and among us and to move as the disciples moved, to continue the message that Jesus began and still continues to speak? Or will we be a church that stifles his presence and not acknowledge the depth of our need for him? You see, the reality is that when we embrace the truth of the Spirit within, we will see the impact of the Spirit without. When we embrace the truth of the Spirit within us, we will see the impact of the Spirit outside of us. And that's what we want for our church and for our community 
and for those in our neighborhoods. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we are reminded that Jesus continually had this one message, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that we should repent and know. And that as we call upon your name as Lord and Savior, we know, Jesus, that you have given us your Holy Spirit. And that through your Holy Spirit, you move in our world today. That you are more alive today through your people because of your Holy Spirit within us. And so, Lord, use us, move in us, manifest yourself among us today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.